Hello, my name is Kevin Fernando and I'm a GP partner at North Berwick Health Centre near Edinburgh. I'm also Education Director for GP Notebook Education and Scottish Lead of the Primary Care Diabetes Society. We've had an explosion of new diabetes drugs over the last 10 years, what I like to call the post-metformin melange. Each of these drugs has their own modes of action, potencies, cardiorenal benefits and adverse effects, which makes it really challenging for us in primary care to match individual treatment to individual patient. What's equally challenging is what to do with these drugs during any intercurrent illness, especially relevant during this COVID-19 pandemic. Are these diabetes drugs safe to continue in acute illness? If so, is dose titration required? Or do these drugs need temporarily stopped? Or is there a requirement for short-term self-monitoring of blood glucose, amongst many other questions? So in this podcast, I'm going to briefly discuss sick day guidance for each of the commonly used classes of diabetes drugs. Now, I've deliberately referred to this as sick day guidance rather than sick day rules as one size does not fit all. And we do have to be less prescriptive and use our clinical judgment for individual patients. I've also created a series of diabetes GP notebook shortcuts covering the diagnosis and classification of diabetes, what next after metformin, as well as dosing recommendations of diabetes drugs in renal impairment, which you may find helpful alongside this podcast. These shortcuts can be accessed at www.gpnotebookeducation.com and then click on the shortcuts tab. So let's start with metformin itself, what I like to call the Volkswagen of diabetes drugs, a long established heritage, tried and tested, but nasty omissions. And, and it is the gastrointestinal side effects that often impact toler tolerability. So the main concern with metformin during acute illness is a possible association with lactic acidosis. Though past evidence has suggested it is not due to metformin itself, but instead due to associated heart failure, liver failure, or renal impairment. Current expert opinion recommends temporarily stopping metformin during any acute intercurrent illness and restarting metformin once individuals are recovered and eating and drinking normally. Of note, Metformin should be stopped permanently if EGFR falls below 30 mils per minute. And overall, metformin carries a low risk of hypoglycemia. Next, sulfonylureas. Now, SUs such as glycoside and glipizide directly stimulate the pancreatic beta cells to produce insulin. As such, one of their major adverse effects is a high risk of hypoglycemia. Therefore, all those individuals on SUs should have access to self-monitoring of blood glucose equipment, especially those individuals who are driving. Additionally, SUs should generally be avoided in frailty and in moderate to severe renal impairment, again because of this high risk of hypoglycemia. But what do we do with SUs during sick days? Well, there's no right or wrong answer here. It very much depends on the clinical situation and also blood glucose readings if we have access to them. During any sick days, such as respiratory illness, 
the body mounts a hormonal response with hormones such as glucagon, adrenaline, and cortisol to increase blood glucose levels to aid the immune response against infection. As such, sometimes SU doses have to be increased to counteract significantly elevated blood glucose levels. On other occasions during sick days, blood glucose levels can fall, especially if oral intake is reduced, therefore uh, increasing the risk of hypoglycemia. So in these situations, of course, SU doses should be reduced or even stopped. So as you can see, if an individual on an SU is not self-monitoring their blood glucose, it is very helpful to prescribe testing equipment to guide sick day management. If this is not possible, given the current circumstances of total triage during the COVID-19 pandemic, we can be guided by osmotic symptoms of hyperglycemia, such as thirst and urinary frequency, or the well-known symptoms of hypoglycemia, such as sweating, tremor, and hunger, which I'll be talking about later on. However, of course, this is no substitute for checking blood glucose levels. Pioglitazone next. Very much a, a niche drug these days, unfortunately, in my opinion. Pioglitazone has a low risk of hypoglycemia, but does cause fluid retention both centrally and peripherally, and therefore is contraindicated in heart failure. Pioglitazone can be used in severe renal impairment, though use is limited again due to this fluid retention. Pioglitazone is best temporarily stopped during any sick days due to this fluid retention and restarted once the individual is fully recovered. Pioglitazone works at a molecular level and as such is a long-acting drug, so temporary cessation should not significantly affect blood glucose levels. Gliptins next, such as citagliptin, linagliptin, saxagliptin and alogliptin. Now, gliptins are generally very well-tolerated drugs. In fact, I can't remember the last time I stopped a gliptin due to it being poorly tolerated. Occasionally, they can cause gastrointestinal disturbance, but usually, uh, gliptins can simply be continued during sick days. If GI symptoms are a significant feature of illness, for example, a viral gastroenteritis, then of course it would be prudent to temporarily stop the gliptin in question until the individual is eating and drinking normally. Overall, gliptins carry a low risk of hypoglycemia and can be used at all stages of renal impairment, though check the current BNF for the correct dose for your gliptin of choice depending on the stage of chronic kidney disease. SGLT2 inhibitors now. So these are drugs such as empagliflozin, canagliflozin, dapagliflozin, and ertugliflozin. Now, due to their mode of action, SGLT2 inhibitors can cause volume depletion or even clinical dehydration. Therefore, they should be temporarily stopped during any sick days. Furthermore, the MHRA warns us about the rare risk of diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA, with SGLT2 inhibitors, again in the presence of acute dehydrating illness, such as a gastroenteritis or a febrile respiratory illness. Importantly, 
This can be a euglycemic DKA. That is to say, blood sugar levels can be normal or near normal. So what should we do? Well, at the onset of any significant illness, including suspected or established COVID-19, we should advise individuals to temporarily stop their SGLT2 inhibitor therapy to minimize this risk of DKA. And then, of course, we should remind individuals to restart their SGLT2 inhibitor once they're fully recovered from the illness and eating and drinking normally. Now, importantly, there's no need to routinely prescribe ketone testing strips to all those on SGLT2 inhibitors, but we should have access to ketone testing strips ourselves, ideally blood testing strips rather than urine testing strips, in the event that we do assess anyone face-to-face -face acutely unwell on an SGLT2 inhibitor. Now, overall by themselves, SGLT2 inhibitors carry a low risk of hypoglycemia, but if used alongside sulfonylureas or insulin, there is an increased background risk of hypoglycemia. Now, importantly, all currently available SGLT2 inhibitors can only be initiated if EGFR is above 60 mils per minute. And interestingly, recent data suggests that SGLT2 inhibitors may have a protective effect against acute kidney injury, AKI. So the reason for temporarily stopping SGLT2 inhibitors during sick days is to reduce the risk of dehydration and DKA rather than AKI. Next, GLP-1 receptor agonists, such as liraglutide, dulaglutide, and semaglutide. Now, these are injectable diabetes drugs, which overall carry a low risk of hypoglycemia. They come in daily or weekly preparations. Now, their main adverse effects are gastrointestinal side effects, including dyspepsia, nausea and vomiting, which may precipitate dehydration. Therefore, these drugs should be temporarily stopped during any sick days and regular meals advocated, as this class of drug can significantly suppress appetite. GLP-1 receptor agonists can be used in moderate to severe renal impairment, but there is some variation within the class. So once again, check the current BNF for your GLP-1 receptor agonist of choice. Finally, for those on insulin, sick day guidance is more challenging and definitely needs to be individualized. The golden rule always is never ever stop insulin, even if reduced or absent oral intake. Insulin doses often need to be increased during sick days. Now, the Primary Care Diabetes Society has some very useful resources on managing diabetes during the COVID-19 pandemic. And these can be accessed at www.pcdsociety.org. These resources include a helpful guide on managing insulin in those living with type 1 and type 2 diabetes during sick days. So please do download this and have a look yourself. Now, occasionally, when temporarily stopping anti-diabetic medications, we see a rebound hyperglycemia, and sometimes we may need to consider short-term introduction of an SU or even insulin. 
but this is where it is useful to phone a friend and contact your local diabetes team for further advice and support, or of course if you feel you are out of your comfort zone. Also, of course, remember to encourage regular fluid intake. The usual mantra here is small amounts regularly, aiming for around about 100 to 200 mils an hour of clear fluids. And then finally, a quick reminder on treating hypoglycemia. Now, for people living with type 1 and type 2 diabetes, 4 millimoles per liter is usually considered the lower limit of normal though individuals may have their own target of hypoglycemia to avoid. A useful aid, aid memoir here is five to drive, four is the floor. And to clarify a few definitions, mild hypoglycemia is where it can be self-treated, whereas major hypoglycemia requires external help for recovery. Now, symptoms of hypoglycemia include autonomic symptoms such as tremor, palpitations and sweatings, and also neuroglycopenic symptoms such as difficulty concentrating, behavioral change and cognitive impairment. For treatment of mild hypoglycemia, remember the 15 rule. Give 15 grams of fast-acting carbohydrate, weight and retest blood glucose levels after 15 minutes. And if still below 4 millimoles per litre, repeat this sequence of events. Once the individual is starting to feel better, follow up with starchy food or a long-acting carbohydrate such as a banana or a sandwich. So, what indeed then is 15 grams of fast-acting carbohydrate? Well, here are a few examples. 4 to 5 glucotabs. Four large jelly babies, though the problem with this option is once you start, you can't stop. One 16-gram bag of Haribo, and my personal favorite is Tang Fastics. 170 mils of full-fat Lucozade. Two tubes of glucogel. 150 mils of full-fat Coca-Cola, or if you live in Scotland, 300 mils full-fat Iron Brew. For major hypoglycemia, Treat as per mild hypoglycemia if the individual is able to swallow. If they are unconscious and or unable to swallow, put them in the recovery position and administer glucagon 1 milligram, one milligram IM if available and phone for an ambulance. Do not administer anything directly into the mouth. Another useful aid memoir here is if attending someone who is found unconscious is ABCDEFG. So ABC, airways, breathing, circulation, and DEFG, don't ever forget glucose. So thank you all for listening. And once again, stay safe and stay strong. <laughs>